All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Rhinos, they are a problem and they're everywhere. I'm not talking about the level of little creatures. No, I'm, I'm talking about those people that run for political office as a Republican, uh, convincing all of us that they actually intend to vote like a Republican, speak like a Republican, act like a Republican. And then they get there and strange enough, they don't do that. We're going to be discussing that today. And we're actually going to have a, a very important guest on with us. You're not going to want to miss this. This is a guy that you do want to know. Because even though it's not necessarily within the state that you live, if there's one thing we have all learned about federal politics is that if you're not paying attention, there's people in other places that can do a lot of damage to where you live. Just look at Nancy Pelosi. So we'll be talking about all that and more on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Today's episode is one that you are going to want to stick around for. And if you enjoy it, be sure to leave a comment on the YouTube channel and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, as always, I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a good person. With us, back with us, my beautiful wife, Tina. I was so thrilled. Hello, everyone. I, I did come back. I did not just go and get milk and not come back. That's we, we, were a little, we were a little terrified <laughs> there. I saw that you second. said that. We, yeah, we were a little terrified, but she is back with us today. And then, as always, resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian. Hi. How you doing? The hair's growing back, and I, I don't it like is. it. It is. I'm no longer bald. <sighs> it just, it looked... It just looks so bad. I mean, it was great. <laughs> wow. No, like bad it, isn't good. Bad, bad isn't good. Like, like it's a biker to the gang. Bone. Like, like you walked in like ball head with his beard. I'm like, I'm, he looks tough. I know. I was waiting for some yep. jailhouse tats, and it was like, oh, this is gonna be great. And then of course, our our producer, the man that makes it happen, and I and I mean that very seriously. The man that makes it happen, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, not the one that likes central banking. As always, Nick, it's a pleasure to be here, and I think I'm pretty excited for our guest today as well. I am as well. We actually have uh, another person introduced to our audience today, and this is Joe Kent running for Congress in Washington State. And you remember when I mentioned uh, rhino problems? Well, Joe is not only a former Green Beret, um, like myself, only better. And I don't mean because of the group that he served in. I mean because he stayed in a lot longer, did a lot of combat uh, tours. We're going to get to some of that. But um, Joe was one of those guys that was off of the races, was doing exactly what he wanted to do with his life. Um, and life really came back and, and hit him hard. And a lot of people in that situation, nobody would blame him if they just decided that, you know, hey, what they had done their part for service to their country. Uh, Joe looked at it as a obligation to serve in another capacity and announced that he was going to run to serve a Congress and to run against an incumbent Republican, which is something we know about on this channel. We've got two people sitting at this table that have run against Republican incumbents because when they're not doing their job, uh, they need to be held to account. So, Joe, please introduce yourself to our audience and thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This is awesome. Uh, so Joe Kent uh, from Washington State, served in the Army for, for a little bit over uh, 20 years, uh, retired out of the Army after a career in, in Special Forces, retired on a Friday and swore in at the CIA on a on a Monday, intended to stay you know, uh, in that realm pretty much for the rest of my, my professional adult life. And that was until um, about three years ago, my late wife, who was also uh, in the military, she was a Na- Navy uh, crypto linguist. She was killed fighting ISIS in Syria. Um, she was killed a month after Trump tried to get our troops out of Syria the first time. Um, so that that um, the way that the administrative state, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, Jim Mattis and those guys publicly resigning, creating all that turmoil, going against the orders of President Trump is what got my wife and three other Americans killed. Um, after that, I realized, hey, I have to step aside from you know, putting myself in physical danger uh, for a living because we have two young sons. They were one and three when my wife, their mom was killed. So I intended, like you said, just to kind of come back here to where I'm from, the Pacific Northwest, retire, just worry about my kids. Um, but I had some pretty unique opportunities along the way. Um, I got a chance to meet with President Trump at, at Dover when I was waiting to receive my wife's remains. Um, and, you know, I, I like I said, I spent a while in the military, did 11 combat deployments, all of them as a, as a Green Beret, as a special operator. Um, so I had a lot of ground level experience and, and I had some very and still have some very strong opinions on what we got wrong in the war on terror. I really felt that uh, the the influence of the military industrial complex and some folks that are ideologically um, not able to see data that we're, we weren't being effective. They were the ones driving the train and, and they were they wanted to keep us at war at all costs. And so I shared that with President Trump that, hey, he was getting the foreign policy right, but he was being thwarted at the, the mid to senior level uh, levels in a way that I'd never seen before. You know, I went in the military under Bill Clinton, served through Bush, served through Obama. I thought transitions of power were nonpartisan. It was completely different when Trump came in. Uh, initially, everybody loved President Trump and, and, and the military intel side because Trump was letting us go after the enemy in a way that Obama or Bush never had. But when Trump said he wanted to get us out of those endless wars, that's when we really saw the apparatus uh, turn against him. So I, I shared that with Trump um, and then resigned the next day and, and thought that nothing would come nothing would come of that um, going forward. But I got a call a couple of days later uh, as I was moving back out here to the Northwest um, from one of Trump's advisors and said, hey, the boss was really interested in your perspective and what you had to say. He wants ground truth. Can you come back to D.C. and talk to us? And so that's how I kind of started an informal relationship with the, the Trump team. Worked heavily on the Trump 2020 campaign because uh, for the first time as an adult, I was you know not in the military, not in uniform anymore. So I could really start speaking out uh, on the political scene. Did that, worked on the Trump campaign, was offered a job in a second Trump administration and then the election happens. 2020 kind of hit us like a ton of bricks out here between the lockdowns and then the riots. And, you know, we can get into all that. But the watching Antifa and BLM burn down my hometown, literally, and the law enforcement and then the elected officials do absolutely nothing about it. And then watching Antifa use this as a chance to further their political agenda. It, it was like nothing I'd seen before in America, but exactly like what I'd seen overseas time and time again. So I knew the country was changing. When the election went the way it did, I believe the election was was rigged, stolen. There was at least enough discrepancies that we need to go back and actually like adjudicate that. Um, that happened. My uh, elected representative, Jamie Herrera Butler, who is ostensibly a Republican, voted to certify. I had issues with that. And then after the riot on January 6th, without doing any due diligence, he immediately moved and said, hey, President Trump inspired this insurrection and we have to impeach him. And so 
seeing all that, I, I realized that, Hey, I, I got to do something. Cause for me at the end of the day, it really comes down to, um, my, my sons. Cause soon they're going to have to, they're going to look me in the eyes and say, Hey, like, what did, what did our mom die for? Why did she die for this country? And I want to be able to tell them what I believe in my heart. And I know she believed in her heart was that this is the greatest country in the history of the world. This is the last hope for humanity. And that's why she went over there and fought and died. But the direction that we're heading, this authoritarian direction that we're heading, I, I don't think if we keep going this way in 10 years, I'll be able to say that to them with a straight face and they won't believe me. So to me, it was very clear. Like I, I need to go and, and try and proactively do something about uh, getting rid of her. So that's how I, that's how, that's how I got here. I was about a, over a little bit over a year ago. We started this. That, that's incredible. There's, there's so much you packed into that, um, that I, I, I'd love to, I'd love to ask you some more questions because sure. one, you, you used a word that I really appreciate and that's authoritarian. Um, cause I, I know that was something that, that we brought up so much is my problem with not with the left is not that they're liberal. It's that they're authoritarian. Yeah. It's this idea that if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to use the power to, of the government to, to crush you. Um, whether it's your business or whether it's to incarcerate someone or whether it's just to destroy them or shut them down or ban them. Um, the, the other thing too, that I, I think is so interesting uh, about, you know, the, the experiences that you had with, within the service. Cause I think a lot of people, um, would think that, oh, you're a Republican, you're a former Green Beret combat veteran, you did some work for agency. Well, then clearly, I mean, obviously you're going to be a war hawk, right? Because right. That, because being a war hawk is patriotic. And yeah. one, one of the things that really first put you on my radar as I was looking at candidates that were stepping up to run was the idea that here's another guy, fellow Green Beret, um, that their whole experience coming back was like, no, 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 I, I believe in defending my country. I believe in peace through strength. But our foreign policy is a nightmare. And personally, I was shocked when Trump first came on the scene. I thought he was going to be more hawkish and all this stuff. And I was actually very pleasantly surprised. So as, as you were having this conversation with president Trump and and they invited you back as much as you can tell us, I mean, what, what was that like? And what was his reaction like to you talking to somebody that had get 11 combat tours? Um, You know, again, who's, who's, it's not like you're running around as a pacifist here. You just want our foreign yeah. policy to. So what? What is? What do you think were some of the mistakes that we made? Um, what do you think a good, strong U.S. foreign policy looks like? And and how did Trump respond to you as you were actually explaining this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the mistakes that we made really—it's it, hard to not address the way that the American people were lied to. I mean, after 9/11, I think every single American understood that we had to go after the Taliban. We had to go after Al-Qaeda that that attacked us. So the initial incursion into Afghanistan, I think that made a lot of sense. And that to me is really what the American people signed off on. When you look at the original authorization use of military force, like the American people are like, yeah, go get those guys. They just attacked us and make sure they don't do it again. But in really short order, you know, by uh, even before 2000, Two really, by the time Bin Laden escaped over into Pakistan, a country we give a bunch of foreign aid to, Bush, without the consent of the American people, he stopped and he said, "Okay, our new mission here is nation building." I, I've even gone back and looked up the looked up the speeches by spring of '02. The Bush administration was saying, "Our whole new thing now is to build the democracy right here in Afghanistan." And before people could even digest that or catch their breath, they were saying, "And by the way, we have to go invade Iraq because Saddam." weapons of mass destruction, and links to Al-Qaeda. 
And it was unpatriotic, like you said, to say, wait, wait, stop, stop. What, what are you even talking about? Like, show us the evidence. Like, this is all on very sketchy ground. There was very few people that actually had the courage to speak out against it. And really, they were, you know, made pariahs in very short order. It's, it's weird seeing all that play out again right now with this Ukraine issue. But so I, I think to not address the fact that a lot of it started on a lie. And then I spent a lot of time on the ground uh, in Iraq as, as a fifth group guy. That was kind of our baby. And Really, we toppled Saddam in very short order. You know, we we have a very uh, proficient military, both unconventional and conventional guys did their thing. We took down Saddam, and then we made the exact same mistake. I remember um, one of the first missions my team got was to demobilize a lot of the counter-Saddam militias and to start to scrap them together into the Iraqi army. And I remember the day, and this is, I don't even think I'd been promoted to, to E6 yet. I think I was a buck sergeant still, Green Beret, 18 Bravo, Bravo 2, like out there just trying to train my troops. And, and we heard that the, the coalition provisional authority, these really smart guys from the State Department and generals, had disbanded the Iraqi military and they had done debathification. They basically said, like, if you had anything to do with civic society, that you were you were done, like you couldn't play anymore. And we were working with a lot of these counter Saddam militias, and most of them were funded by the Iranians. And so, like, we just watched this debacle go. And I, and I thought in my young mind, like, okay, maybe one of two things could be true. Maybe there's a plan here that I'm not right on to because I'm just like some guy down here teaching guys how to how to go clear a house and, and shoot guns. Um, or maybe our decision makers they're not getting the ground truth. So I I you know pretty much became obsessed with providing ground truth to decision makers, kind of working at the confluence of operations and intel. Became a you know a uh, uh, 18 Fox and all that. And, but the higher up I got and the more I gave truth to power, I realized that these guys don't care. Oh, God. The, the, the program is that we're going to continue to nation build the, the, yeah. the recipe is always going to be literally more cowbell. They're always going to come back and say, <laughs> you know what we need to do? We need to bring over more troops, more stuff, yeah. stay longer, fight longer, bleed more, regardless of what the outcome was. And, you know, I, I could talk Iraq all day, but we, we continued to like prop up this Iranian backed government because it essentially tied into our narrative. And so we were, blind to all the data that we were getting that says these guys are not our allies they're killing americans but it ties into this whole democracy narrative that we have here yeah. so i got pretty jaded on all that um like early on you know uh i i did not like obama at all uh however he said very different things than bush and so i thought okay maybe things will be different under obama let's see how they go but really, at the end of the day, like he said very different things, but the results were the same. Obama kept us in the same wars. And then he found new wars for us to get into. I spent some time in Yemen as well. It was it was just like watching, you know, Iraq all over again, almost. Yeah. Um, we didn't mess up as bad in Yemen as we did in Iraq, but we, we, we still had our fingerprints all over it. And then we did the regime change again in Libya. And so when I would sit back, and I was always proud of the work I did, proud of the work that my friends did at the tactical level. But when I would sit back and be like, but what was it all for? What? What 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 can we realistically sit back and say, like, did, did any of this work? And that's something that actually drew me to President Trump when he was a candidate is that he came in as that, you know, third set of eyes, the non-expert that says, like, OK, yeah, all you experts are saying, like, that this is the greatest thing ever, like that this actually worked. However, as a layman, I am saying, show me what you actually accomplished. And if you can't show it to a layman and say, like, hey, this is what we accomplished, this is tangible, then chances are you, you, you're kind of high on your own product. And oh, so it, it, that's what I appreciated about President Trump. I'll tell you what, it, it, and that's it's crazy you said it. So I started off as an 18 Bravo and then became an 18 Fox. Um, and, and you'll appreciate this. I got I had a, a Soda North commander get a little pissy with me once because I, I was filling out the sit rep for my ODA. And we were about to leave country. My captain comes and goes, you didn't put enough in there. You need to put more in there. And usually he read it before I sent it back up there, but I decided to be a smart ass. And I said, uh, hey, I, I got a question for all you mucky mucks up there at Sodup North. 
uh, which is Special Operations Task Force North for those that you know are watching. Um, I said, why are we the only country from a federated constitutional republic with a free market economic system that overthrows dictatorships, sets up parliamentary democracies that we know nothing about, and centrally planned economies? And as you can imagine, that was not That's appreciated. Amazing. That was not appreciated when it when it actually did make it up into the Soda of North Sitrep. But um, no, I, I think you're I think you're spot on in your analysis with that, and and it's amazing how um, I, I think there again when I first went to Iraq. I mean, I was gung ho about all of it. Um, I, yeah. I, I couldn't wait to get overseas. And, and like you said, like you said, something really, really important here. And I think the audience needs to understand this. Um, it, it's this whole idea of, cause I've had some people that are friends of mine, you know, on the, on, you know, kind of the libertarian wing and whatnot, where it, it's almost like they question anything that they were a part of or the U S military in general. I'm like, wait, no, no, stop. I might not have liked what U S foreign policy became, I might not I might not have agreed with the overall strategy, but man, when it came to the individual tasks that we were responsible, the things that we were responsible for on the ground, I know that there was good that we did. The problem was is that it just got completely bulldozed by a nonsensical foreign policy, not to mention this yeah. precedent that's been around in the US military or really in the US foreign policy since really the 50s now, where yeah. Presidents can send troops off to war without so much as a declaration from Congress, right? As long as the funds have been approved in the budget, I mean, there we go sending off men and women. So I, I can't thank you enough, not just for the, the service that you obviously rendered in difficult, and the service that your wife rendered, but also your willingness to come up and, and use the experience that you have to call absolute BS on this narrative coming from the Bill Crystals of the world that say that yeah. if you're not on board with, with invading everybody or jumping into Ukraine, everything else, yep. well, then your, your patriotism or your courage might be lacking. And if, right. it, if it wasn't for people like you, right, it's, it's one thing for, there's some people out there that are saying it that I like and that I admire. It's different when someone like you with the combat experience that has sacrificed, that your family has sacrificed in ways that most of us will never understand. To, to get out there and say it. And so I, I just think it's great on that issue. I, I want to hit on another one here um, real quick because I was, I was going through and, and looking at um, your site. Obviously, I'm a big Second Amendment guy, and I, I always appreciate someone that, you know, once again shares that perspective on the Second Amendment. So tell us a little bit about – because we, we always get characterized. If you're, if you're for the Second Amendment, it must be because you just love guns. And it's so much more than that. Tell us a little bit about what it what it means to you to support Second Amendment rights. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Second Amendment absolutist. I, I think there's just a big period at the end of the Second Amendment, uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. So, I, I mean, I, I really think right now, especially in this post, I mean, we're still kind of in COVID, but after watching what our ruling class here in America did during COVID, the lockdowns, the amount of control that they exercised over our personal rights, they they really went further than I ever thought they would. Um, I think you guys may have fared a little bit better there in Virginia, but Washington State, we have a very totalitarian governor, Jay Inslee. He was forcing people to take vaccines. We have Washington State administrative codes that talk about forced quarantine, like crazy stuff. You, it, it sounds like I have a tinfoil hat on when I'm talking about it, but you can look it up. And there's these um, these laws that say that the government can put you into forced quarantine situations. We watched what happened to our uh, our fellow cousins down in Australia and up in Canada, what their governments did. And I really think the only thing that's different between them 
and us, it's our second amendment. Like our government does need to have a healthy fear of us to say that like, we can't go just literally through the barrel of a gun, force our citizens to do exactly what we want, because all it takes is someone to say, Hey, I don't care about the constitution anymore. I am going to say we're in an emergency like they did with COVID. And now we are going to, I don't know, make people take vaccines. We're going to make people stay locked down. Like we're seeing in China. Like it's, it's one thing to say that we're an exceptional nation and we have this great social contract. And I do believe that. However, human nature exists for a reason. And our founders were geniuses because they understood that human nature. And they said, well, hey, look, a check on this is let the citizens have guns. If the government has a healthy fear of their citizens, then the, really there's not that much the government can ultimately do to their citizens. So I, I just think it's it's absolutely apparent. And, you know, and people will, will talk about uh, the hunting aspect, that's fine. Self-defense too, that, that's very relevant. I think that's something worth talking about. But at the, at the end of the day, it's not really even about that. It's, it's about protecting our sovereignty uh, as free people. No, I, 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 again, good answer. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> Every time I see someone talk about the second amendment and then it, it's hunting, I'm like, well, this person doesn't get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. That's, but, that's how you know they yeah. don't get it is when they start talking yeah. about, well, I go duck hunting. Well, and I, I, the other thing too, and yeah. this is, this is another one where I think your experience really comes into play. It's, uh, you know, I was over in Iraq in 06 and, and 08. And so you were over there earlier and it, it was crazy because we were talking to people that had basically when they had gone and they'd actively disarmed whatever part of the population that, you know, Saddam's regime hadn't already disarmed. And then by the time I was there back in 06, we were handing out, we were handing out guns. We were setting up these uh, localized militias because the whole idea was, is that we couldn't, the government, the most powerful military on the planet that was essentially policing the nation. We couldn't be there all the time to defend these people. But the moment we empowered them to be able to defend themselves, that was when you actually saw a fairly drastic shift in my opinion in Iraq uh, people always talk about the surge. I was like, well, okay, yeah, more U.S. troops, sure. But really what it came down to, in my opinion, from what I, what I was looking at on the ground was when, when people were able to defend themselves and no longer felt dependent or, or intimidated by these you know, roving bands, um, that made a huge impact on the way that I, I look at, again, why do we protect this right and why are we so adamant about it in this country? And I, th- I think you articulated it really well. Um, Another thing I, I was reading through that I really appreciated when you, uh, you go to your issues page, and by the way, everybody, before I get too far into this, JoeKentForCongress.com, right? JoeKentForCongress.com. That's where you need to go to find out more about this. And then there's Joe Kent 16 Jan 19. Wait, no, no. Is that the, which, which is the best Twitter one for you? That's the Twitter one. Yeah, that's Joe Twitter Kent. Yep. Okay. And then JoeKentForCongress.com as well. But um, if, as you look at the issues page on the economy, right, a lot of times, Republicans, when they're talking about the economy, you know, lower taxes, less regulation. We, we get that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know a single Republican that doesn't run on that. You said something, though, in here that I really like. And it, it had to do with um, Congress must prevent federal funding from being used to bail out activist governors like Inslee who insist on locking down their economies. I about stood up and cheered when I saw this because I've seen some Republicans, they'll talk about, oh yeah, we need, we need money to go to the states and to help out. Like, no, what you're doing is you're taking money out of the hands of the people that earned it and then you're giving it to states or governors or state legislatures to bail them out of the crappy decisions that they made. And the fact that you called that out specifically, tell us a little bit about you know, how that's affected Washington and, and your approach to it. What really frustrated me, and I think this, I'm probably speaking from the entire 
West Coast here, but specifically in Washington State. I mean, unfortunately, I think we have a red state, but it's controlled by Seattle. It's a heavy population base. And so Jay Inslee, very left-leaning, progressive authoritarian, um, did massive amounts of COVID restrictions. And what we constantly heard um, from the woman I'm running against, Jamie Herr, a butler, was that like, well, this is all a state issue. And there's guys, I can't do anything about it. This is just a state issue. Like she was completely and totally powerless. And that gave her basically a blank check to remain silent for all of COVID. And so you have a, a very red district that we live in. Who's going to stick up for us? Who's going to stick up against these authoritarian blue state governors? Um, and I think it needs to be our elected Republicans. And from the federal perspective, what can you do? The power of the purse strings is massive. And I think this applies also to some law and order issues. But specifically with COVID, there was a time when a lot of the blue states were still heavily locked down, receiving a ton of federal funding. And you had great states like you know Florida and Texas that were like, we're opening back up and we're not doing this nonsense anymore. So I think just in terms of like, why would a Florida taxpayer, why, why should their federal funding, their federal income taxes or whatever, go to Washington state having absolutely draconian COVID policies. And so I think that that's absolutely key. I feel the same way of law and order in sanctuary cities. Anywhere where there's a sanctuary city or like my state is an entire sanctuary state, I think it's it's completely legitimate for us at the federal level Congress to say like, I'm sorry, um, we're just not funding you anymore. If you can't abide by our basic laws, and you can't enforce law and order in your own cities. And then now your cities have become this, this festering cesspool where violence spills out of. Like we, we're, we're right on the border of Oregon and Washington. So Portland's basically a suburb of us. It's the same thing. Like I, I don't believe that any of these cities should be receiving federal funding until they can enforce basic law and order. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. I know Tina wanted to ask you because Tina, you know, Tina's obviously she's been a candidate and uh, obviously, you know, she's she's got to be married to me. So she knows what it's like to be, you know, a candidate spouse. And, and we know what it's like to have kids in this environment. I mean, I know you had a question. I think it's great to hold um, rhinos accountable for the votes that they take. You know, a lot of times you see them run around and they campaign one way and they're able to find ways to um, kind of woo the electorate over to them. Um, and then at the end of the day, they end up not upholding that and betraying that. And so um, one thing that we have learned when attempting such feats, which can be very challenging, is that, um, you know, it's, you kind of expect the attacks and expect the uh, um, vitriol from the left. And so you're sort of hardened to that. What you don't necessarily expect is how dirty your own side can get. And so I just wanted to ask real quick, I know you've got two young sons. You mentioned earlier that uh, they were pretty young, so that might be a good thing. So they don't actually see uh, the social media commentary um, of them coming after you and things like that. But um, how is how is your family handling uh, the campaign world and um you know, are you experiencing any types of attacks that are completely unfounded? I know that Nick and I had experienced some things where, I mean, our own side will just completely make things up that are verifiably false and people might believe it, uh, especially if they have a lot of money behind it to to push it to the public. So are you experiencing anything like that? And how is your ha family handling uh, campaign life? First off, I'm, I'm very blessed. Um, I have my family that's close, my mom and dad, several of my brothers and sisters are close. Uh, I mean, I'm engaged. I have an amazing fiance who's really stepped in and, and become a mother for our, uh, our two sons, which is fantastic on a personal level, but then especially with the campaign that, that helps out a lot. Now, she's also a veteran too, so she kind of knows 
knows the lifestyle of, of constantly being on the go. Um, and then I have uh, more family kind of close in the area. So as far as the family goes, well, we've been able to keep our sons like really insulated, I think, from all of it. And they're so young. They, they I, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that they they can't log on to, you know, Facebook or Twitter and see the horrible things that people leave in the comment section. And then I have to explain those horrible things, which usually I have no idea where they come from. Um, yeah, it, we're in a hot primary right now. And so I've, I've had some attacks here and there. Um, I get called, you know, every, I've, I've literally I've gotten called in the same ad, uh, Bernie Sanders and Hitler in the same ad. You <laughs> wow. know? So most of it's most of it's kind of, hey, it's kind at of least hilarious. At least know? they're finally acknowledging that Hitler was a socialist. Bernie right? Sanders and Hitler have a lot in <laughs> right, common. Right. That, that, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, when I was working for the Trump campaign in 2020, uh, I was a registered voter still in Oregon. Um, and I because there was no presidential primary in 2020, I registered as a Democrat to vote in the Democrat primary in an effort to push forward Bernie Sanders, at least the, the, the candidate they couldn't steal enough ballots to win. Um, I've been very upfront about that. So people are like, oh, my God, he's like a secret Bernie bro and you know, all that. But I mean, <laughs> you know, most of it's just kind of dumb. You can kind of laugh it off because um, I can prove what I, the work that I was doing on, on, you know, during 2020 to get Trump reelected. But, you know, it, it is tough, uh, you know, on the family. So it does take a toll. I, I think kind of having the military background, I'm sure is the same for you guys. Like it, it sort of has its its own cycle. And so you, you, you allocate the time to spend with the kids and, and to explain things to them as much as. You know, we got billboards and stuff up, so they think it's funny to see my, you know, my face up in in town. I mean, I think it's kind of funny too, but they they definitely think it's funny. So they, it's funny because my sons will ask me almost every day if I've won the election yet. So <laughs> it's like no no pressure. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Yeah, the, I think the one thing my kids liked when we first got involved in politics initially they liked it, but it was going to all the parades and like my son would dress up as like Spider Man and stuff like that. I, we so. still have those photos. They're on we Facebook. We do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. I did want to, yeah. I did want to quickly, um, you know what you're talking about doing the, let's go ahead and thwart the democratic primary thing. We've got a lot of people that do that here. We have open primaries, so yeah. you can vote in either primary. And you know, Rush Limbaugh had a name for this. They actually really worked on it. It's operation chaos. And, yeah. um, he was encouraging people to change their voter registration so that you yeah. can thwart the left's, uh, primary so that we could they could get somebody in that is the easiest to beat basically well, you, you know well, let's you know, be honest. You know rush classic yeah. bernie bro right there. and and so i feel like that's that is the you know just point to that i mean how many of these people probably love rush limbaugh but then are are attacking yeah, yeah. you for that the left does that to us i mean oh, yeah. oh they do it all the time they, know this they specifically did it experience. to me they did yeah, it to me we do we do yeah. we experience it so yeah. i've got um i've got some pretty cool news to share literally like 30 seconds before we started recording this podcast um i i was scrolling through twitter and i saw a tweet just come up and now it's you know it's it's like 20 something minutes old but um this is from elon musk he actually just he literally just tweeted in the past i voted democrat because they were mostly the kindness party but they have become the party of division and hate so i can no longer support them and will vote republican now watch their dirty tricks campaign against me unfold. And then he tweeted the little popcorn emoji. Wow. He literally just announced right before we we started the show that he was going to be voting Republican in November. I I find that really fascinating because usually it, it's so funny. The Democrats always accuse the Republicans of being the party of the rich or the party of the billionaire class. But then you look at most of these wealthy people in Silicon yeah. Valley or or Wall Street. I mean, you look at the donations, for example, from 2020 from Wall Street or Silicon Valley, and it was like a factor of like 20 to one for Biden. Yeah. Um, and yet here we have, you know, Musk, who just left the West Coast for Texas recently, um, announcing to the world that he's going to vote Republican in November. 
I, part of me thinks that there's this like paradigm shift that's starting to take place where you you have like ordinary people that weren't really super engaged in the political process. I mean, Elon had better things to do with his life than care about politics. Um, you know, he was starting all these businesses and whatnot, and now he's tweeting about politics. And we know that he's he's in the process of trying to buy Twitter, um, you know, because it has such a strong left wing bias. So. I wanted your take on on what's going on with, you know, the the average, you know, general American, you know, John Q public that hasn't really been engaged in the political process lately and are starting to tune in because gas is going through the roof or inflation is going through the roof or the stock market's starting to crash, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think I mean, Elon put it pretty, pretty succinctly there, but I think he hit the nail on the head. And I've seen this reflect um in in my campaign folks that will come out to my events especially this summer when we were doing a lot of medical freedom rallies because we were still under lockdowns i had people come up to me that said like hey look either one of two things like never been politically engaged before couldn't even tell you like how to how to vote but i'm going to this next time um and then i've had other people come up and say look uh, I voted for Obama. I really didn't like Trump. I thought he was kind of mean. Uh, I voted for Biden, but then they'll all be like, hey, I didn't vote for this. This is not what I voted for. This is not the bill of goods that I was sold. And I see with you guys that you're inviting people to these events. You're trying to open up schools, get the masks off the kids. You really just want me to be able to live my life. And then now, especially with the massive amounts of inflation, supply chain issues, some of the stuff that I think that maybe was like a little bit esoteric, like, hey, let's talk about uh, energy independence. Let's talk about the security of our supply chains and reindustrializing the country. I think a lot of people's eyes would glaze over when you talk about that, kind of like economic issues. But now that those things are just so disrupted, I mean, for the first time, I, I think in, in several uh, generations, we're having supply chain shortages here in America. Like we're, Biden's warning of food shortages in like the most blessed, plentiful nation in the in the history of the world. Like we can't feed our own babies, like absolute insanity. And then the, there's no ceiling, it appears, to the price of the pump. And that affects absolutely everything. And so I think there's a lot of people you smack, you smack them in the face with that. And they're like, wait a sec, what's the opposite of this? Oh, these guys over here, they're welcoming, they're inviting, they're not canceling me for one, but they also seem to have a plan. So, okay. Yeah. just, I'm, I'm going to go with that. So we're, we are seeing a good deal of that. I, I, that's why I think this is going to be such a good and important year for, uh, for Republicans and conservatives. Well, Joe, I got to disagree with you on one thing. I don't think that it's the Democrats don't have a plan to combat inflation and supply chain issues and crime. They do have a plan. It's to call you and everybody else that might agree with you a right. racist. Right? That's the plan. Very true. Right? That's the plan. Yep. And, of course, using COVID dollars to push, like, CRT and gender theory on third graders. I mean, that is that is a core portion of their plan, Joe. And uh, they see you as a threat to it. That's the real problem. Well, actually, um, yep. I, I was doing a little bit of research on you uh, a little earlier. And I realized that Salon.com has you on their list of uh, the scariest Republican candidates of 2022. And I don't think it's because of your military experience that you're so scary. I think it's probably a little bit more uh, has more to do with um, your stance on some things and and your threat to their power. Uh, What do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty outspoken, I think, on, uh, well, on, on a lot of issues, but in particular, I think two real hot button ones. The election of 2020, I have major issues with. I'll, I'll argue with folks all the time, but I think that, like, hey, this isn't a done issue. We need to fully adjudicate it. If we have, you know, 
a lot of the country right now, probably 75, 80% of Republicans. And then by recent polling, like 40, 45% of independents that think that there's issues of our elections, that's very dangerous. I mean, the, the social contract that we have with our government that we, the people get to choose those who have power over us, that can fray really fast. And, you know, Nick and I served overseas in places where people didn't have that right to go to the ballot box and, and pick a new government. Like they resort to pretty dark and dangerous tactics really, really fast. And so I'll never back down on that. I think that's something we absolutely have to fix. But then also January 6th. I mean, we've been lied to since day one about January 6th. We were told that what police or the crazed Trump supporters beat to death a bunch of police officers. And we find out months later that that was completely a lie. It was totally false. There's been an un unknown number of people, I think around 100, that have been detained, denied access to, to due process. Um, so again, this is stuff that we saw overseas where the intelligence service would go scoop up political opposition and throw them in dungeons somewhere. And so, I mean, hey, I, I just want to lay out all the facts of what happened in January 6th. There's a lot of questions that people deserve answers to. And then also, hey, if people did a crime that day, give them their fair shake, give them their, their day in court. They're American citizens. But that process has just been blocked and obstructed for so much that, hey, that's you can call me an insurrectionist all day. You can call me like you're perpetrating the big lie. But these are things that we can't back down on. And if we do, then we are giving the authoritarians more power to continue to just push us down on the slippery slope and off the cliff. You know, it's, it's crazy to me. I got interviewed, um, again, when I was running by, you know, editor for a newspaper and she was saying, she was asking me about January 6th and election integrity. I said, Lisa, let me make something really clear. I've never once came out and claimed that I lost my congressional race. And we, we were like less than two points. There was some, they found a thumb drive, flash drive, flash drive with 16,000 votes yeah. on it. So, and I said, never once have I come out and said the election was stolen from me. What I have said is that there were a lot of abnormalities with respect to that that can and should be fixed. Mm -hmm. I said, so let me ask you a question. Why don't you report that? Like, why is it, please tell me what part of what I just said is unreasonable when I make the claim that, look, a, a thumb drive showing up with 15,000 votes, that's a little questionable, right? Like if I had won the election by 4,000 votes, I'm pretty sure people would have been like, wait a second, where did this thumb drive come from? You know, these drop-off boxes. Right, which is just inviting voter fraud. I said, can, can we please just say, look, reasonable people might disagree with respect to the election outcomes. Reasonable people might disagree on this other stuff. And, and to your point, I don't know a single Republican that's saying, you know, anybody that did something illegal or wrong or violent on January 6th shouldn't be prosecuted and, and punished for that. We are saying that we do have a legal process that you're supposed to follow. Yeah, I mean, I, I know in the I know in the era of droning American citizens, we might have forgotten some of that, but we do still believe in this process, and that it should apply to people even that we disagree with. I think you know, I, again, what is unreasonable about that? And and they keep wanting to come back with this caricature argument that if you have any problem with it, then you're lying, or if you have any problem with it, then you approve of anybody that did something wrong or illegal or violent on January 6th. It's like no, these are two different things stop conflating them and you know it's it's been real frustrating you saw this also i mean joe mentioned this at the very beginning, uh, beginning of the podcast you know does anybody remember the riots in the summer of 2020 <laughs> yeah oh, yeah like the the party oh, yeah. that that Co covid actually avoided those riots covid didn't actually <laughs> yeah who knew that, that covid doesn't care about riots right. well that's only, because covid's yeah. had the benefit of COVID CRT only training. infects school-aged children that aren't wearing masks but if you're rioting in the streets and burning it down apparently it doesn't matter totally but, okay but like I, I it's just it's incredible the the you know 
two face, you know, the double standards. I think, Nick, you're the one that always says that, you know, if it weren't for double standards, the left wouldn't have any standards at all. <laughs> and, I, you know, it, it goes back to I'm old enough to remember when Democrats were saying that, you know, Stacey Abrams had the election stolen from her. Yeah. And apparently she's running for re-election now. They did and the same <laughs> thing in 2016 against Trump. They oh, they were trying desperately. Oh, they were to trying find... to rig the electoral college. I do remember <laughs> that when they were trying to say, let's get all the electors together and vote for some other person. They wanted to put like Colin yeah. Powell in there. They or believed like that the that. election was stolen. It they always believe the election's stolen when it's them. And uh then when it's us, we're all wearing tinfoil hats and well, they call us crazy. And 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 Joe, to your point, I don't <laughs> The whole thing is, is like if if reasonable people can agree that there are problems with the way that the process currently works, why wouldn't we want to investigate, better understand in a transparent fashion, and then fix the problems? Unless, of course, you believe yourself to be benefiting from the problem. Yeah, if you benefit hey, from bingo, the problem. Yeah, I always say like, hey, look, if I if I'm wrong, um, if I'm wrong, then you guys get to rub your rub my nose in it. You get to rub all the Trump supporters' noses in it. You get to rub Nick's nose in it. Like, let's just lay out all the facts and let's see where the cards lay. And then also, you know, you can rub our noses in it if we're wrong, but we can also fix any any glitches in the system or problems. And you know, I think we're are we still waiting for a, a ballot count in Pennsylvania the election that happened last night because of their yes. their system, these 2020 laws? Like, our system obviously has major major issues. Um, but again, yeah, if you even bring any of that up, you're you're some sort of a uh, a threat to society that then warrants the security state to to take a really hard look at you. Yeah. Real quick, um, I just wanted to kind of redirect over to education real quick because you mentioned the lockdowns and the masking of the kids and things like that. And here in Virginia, education became an explosive topic, which actually propelled our governor to a win and our lieutenant governor and our AG. And I'm just curious to, to know, first of all, what your stance is on, on education or school choice or anything of that matter. Um, and then also, what's the mood like in your district on education and how red is your district? So we're uh, we're about a R plus redistricting actually worked out in our favor. We're somewhere in the R plus 10 to 12, depending nice. on what you read. So we, we're a very conservative district. Uh, Education is a hot button issue in, in our district. Uh, Washington State has been leading point on comprehensive sex education, which is the entire you know transgender uh, ideology and agenda. So a lot of parents, myself included, uh, pulled their kids out of the public schools, either homeschooled or have moved towards private schooling. Uh, the mask mandates uh, did that as well. And then we also had the Washington State Board of Health saying that, hey, if the CDC approves the COVID vaccine, which they just did for K through 12, that the school boards and the uh, Washington State Department of Health will then look at mandating that. So wow. we've had a mass exodus from from public education, and rightfully so. I think from the federal perspective, we have to absolutely decentralize education as much as possible. Like I don't know why the federal government in Washington D.C. even has a Department of Education. I would I would sign on to uh, Thomas Massey's bill on day one. Yes, yes. The one that, one that is that is good. That is good policy anytime, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and many, many more federal agencies to come, hopefully. But that, that's a great one to start with, because like the, the education system is completely out of control. It's being used to indoctrinate our kids. I, I don't even feel like that's a controversial statement anymore, based on all the data that we have on that. Then I think we have to go through all the different uh, sources of funding, the grant money, and use our power of the purse strings. If it involves the comprehensive sex ed, if it involves 1619, CRT, we just kill it off and we say, hey, we're not going to, I don't care where you put this thing because that's what they do. They take those massive omnibus bills that are supposed to cover one topic and then they shove in a bunch of earmarks that that have all these different
different, you know, funding for Planned Parenthood, et cetera, in them. So I think we have to be very diligent about going through that. Um, I'm a big supporter of school choice, school voucher program. Uh, in a perfect world, I think it would work that when you pull your kids out of school, the money follows them. Yes. Unfortunately, you need cooperation from the state government for that, you know. Um, so right. I, I do want there to be a federal option for, for folks like us that are in a blue state where the state will not cooperate for there to be a federal uh, voucher program of some sort for parents that like they just straight up, they can't afford to pull their kids out of the schools, but they want to. And so I think that that's really important to give families that freedom. Well, that was excellent. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an great. interesting thought. I actually hadn't thought about school choice on the federal level, just on the state level. Well, there's well, a lot I of think, money tied yeah. to yeah. education on the federal sure. level. It's you a huge a, amount of money. Depending, yeah. on, depending on what state, depending on what program, you're looking at maybe like 9 to 10% of the, the funds allocated sure. for education are coming from the federal level. I mean, again, the most beautiful thing you said there, I loved it when, one. Dollars I, follow I, the students. I, I, dollars I love follow that. the students. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm supporting a bill by Thomas Massey. That's always a, <laughs> that's always a great idea. Yeah, that's and, the easy button. Right. Yeah. 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 But but honestly, and, and it really is, it's it's looking at that perspective because so many people, again, so many Republicans who talk about school choice or, you know, they, they instantly go with what, you know, where they're going to spend the federal dollars. And I, I love the fact that you challenged this whole idea of, well, wait a second, why is this something that the federal government should be focusing on? Like what, what gives it any, where, where's the constitutional authority for it? And what exactly makes it the most ideal place to go? I mean, there's, there's so... I am so excited about this new generation of Republican challengers, of candidates that are coming out. And, and instead of just repeating the same old lines that I've heard from countless other Republicans that are starting asking that all-important question, that is, before you think something sounds good, the first question you should ask is, is this really the business of the federal government? And I mean, and you're doing it. You're asking those questions. Well, look, Joe, I know you're, you're running short on time right now. I want to give you a chance. Can, please plug... Like you, what's your campaign doing next? Your we talked a little bit about your website. Tell yeah. them again, you know your Twitter, everything else. Where where all can we follow you and learn more? Yeah, JoeKentForCongress.com is like the touch point. We got a link to read all the social media on there. That's the best place to go for information. So right now we are just, uh, we're sprinting. Our uh, primary is in August. I think the primary is probably going to be the heaviest lift for us. Um, we're leading in all the independent polling, which is great. We're not taking it for granted. We're going to continue to run like we're, like we're in third place. Uh, Fundraising is an issue, so folks can chip in five, 10, 15 bucks. That really helps because we're not, I'm not taking any corporate PAC money. I'm just not going to do it. I think that that's a, a quick way to sell out to the swamp really quickly. Um, but my opponent, Jamie Herrera Butler, she runs off of corporate PAC money. She's being funded by Kevin McCarthy. She's being funded by Mitt Romney. The, uh, the latest iteration of the Lincoln Project, the Republican Accountability Project, they're spending money in the district against me. So that's what we're up against. But uh, despite all that, we're still prevailing. I just think we have a, a really strong message. Uh, I'll be out doing town halls uh, probably about we're doing four to five per week right now. Wow, so wow. if you go to JoeKentForCongress.com and you're in the district, there's a good chance I will be within a very short drive of you uh, very shortly. So come on out and see us. So, yeah. well, again, I, I'm, just, I'm constantly I'm constantly hearing people. I'm constantly hearing Republicans. Why are going to talk about like, you know, why aren't Republicans doing this? Why aren't Republicans doing that? And, and it stinks to have to tell them. It's like, look, it's funding. It, it's not when someone is going out there and knocking the doors and doing five town halls a week. That is not someone that is afraid of hard work. Uh, but yeah. if you if you want these candidates, if you want candidates that are willing to step up and actually fight back and then not take some of the the money or the support of the donations that obviously comes from different entities that is then going to expect something from them when they get to Washington, D.C., then it's on us as the individual. 
And it really is. It's on us as individual people that believe in these things, that believe in individual liberty, free markets, private property rights, um, educational freedom. If you believe in those things, and when you have candidates that are willing to stand up and, and boldly campaign for them, unapologetically advocate for your views, if you don't donate to them, if all you do is like their page or, or talk about how great you think they are on Twitter, if you don't donate to them, that, that's the same thing as basically saying, I support our, you know, whatever, but never providing them any of the resources that they need to accomplish the mission. So if they're willing to put themselves out there, if you've been begging for someone like this to run and they've stepped up, put their life on hold in order to do it, but we're not willing to give them the resources in order to make them successful, you abandon them. Even if you're not in the district, even if you you're need not in the donate. district, that's the equi- That is the mm -hmm. equivalent. And I'm sorry, that's a hard truth. Yeah. But we, a lot of people at this table, we know what it's like to be in that situation where you're sitting there begging people, like, "Look, I'm trying. I need your support." Joe's out there. He's fighting. He's given a lot for his country. His family's given a lot for this country. Um, he is making the arguments that we want to see made in D.C. And I'm sorry, but he strikes me as the sort of guy that is going to be able to stand up to all of the typical. Threats, intimidation, temptations, and everything else come to D.C., but we got to get them there first, and that is on us. So I want you to go right now. I want you to go to JoeKentForCongress.com. Go to his donate page. Donate, and then share the page and encourage someone else to donate. This is a big part that people screw up. They, they pay their, you know, they, they donate their 50 bucks, their 100 bucks, and they're like, great, I did my job. You did. You did something great. That's wonderful. But how many other people need to know that this was a campaign that you were actually willing to spend your blood and treasure on. Right? They need to know that too, because you'll be shocked at the number of people you have influence with. So Joe, I want to thank you so much. God bless you and your family. Thank you, thank you for what you're doing. Keep fighting. We're going to get this out there. And once again, thank you for coming on, making the argument. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, that is all the time that we have today. I want to thank Joe for coming on. We're also going to have some other candidates coming on here in the next several weeks. We've got some other primaries that are going to be ending here in June to include some of those here in Virginia. So we want to uh, give some other candidates an opportunity to come up and speak. But, you know, hey, look, if you live in Washington or if you just care about the country, because, again, if you're in Congress, you cast a vote that affects the entire nation. And it is, it is time for people across the country to stop seeing this exclusively as their congressional district or their state or their commonwealth. We, if we don't have the right people arguing at the federal level, we're going to constantly find our, ourselves in this situation where Manhattan and New York City, or excuse me, Manhattan and the Bay Area and Portland are dictating terms for the rest of the country. So if you don't want that, first step is anytime someone that is willing to fight for that sort of individual liberty is willing to go up to D.C. and fight for it there, help them out. Once again, I'm Nick Freitas for making the argument. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.